You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. Greetings. This is Quantum League Book Club. I am your host, Parisha, and my co-host this week is Joyce Mollenhauer. We have Marianne Love, uh, Geraldine Dalby-Ball, which we also know as Alloway. We have Trina Cooper, and we have Steve Jones. And today we're actually going to begin at covering the chapters within the book, Dying to Be Me. And that would be the book by Anita Morjani. And uh, I've had the opportunity to actually meet some people who know her personally and how high, very highly they endorse her and, and authenticate her full experience. Not that I need that. I just want you to know there are a lot of people saying a lot of good things. And that's how this book actually become, a, you know, in my particular mindset, looking at it and realizing it's timely and that we do look at it. I love how Anita goes about bringing us into her life story, because if you've ever had to encounter the diagnosis of a near fatal disease or even the fatal sense of a disease, and obviously we all live in some kind of concern and fear of it on a daily basis, in in any part of that that might be your personal experience, you're going to find this book really helping you bridge the gap between that and resolving your concerns and living more fully, regardless of the circumstances, living more fully. And uh, we start out as where Anita actually brings us into looking at how she grew up and the influences of her childhood, which were happy and obviously of um, a, a variety and a contrast of different particulars in life because she raised was raised very much in a mixed community of cultures and people. And then we go on into looking at growing up differently in as much as some of the particular challenges that that gave her and obviously brought about what she considers the very uh, beginning of setting up the cancer of which she actually uh speaks about and what we're looking in this book is how she actually came through the crisis and actually was self-healed through her thoroughly and without any cancer. Anyway, then she brings into that the matchmaking missteps. And, and that would be because of her culture being Hindu and the particular things she went through with that. The reason that we cover that and what she actually covers that in a book is to help you have some kind of background as to what she feels led up to the actual acquiring the cancer situation that uh, is the major outcome of this book and how she began to realize where, where it all started and where it ended up and how she actually survived past it. I should hope that everyone would hope that they would have the crisis outcome that she did 
And in that, actually, maybe in opening our minds to a greater awareness, actually avoid any of it. So um, I'm going to let our co-hosts actually start this week to bringing you into knowing what we actually have read so far in the first three chapters. I'm hoping you get the book. I think it's actually one of those books, again, that you need to have in your personal library and that you need to read it often in order to stay clear on actually the message that comes from one who has gone past the veil of death. In my own circumstances, I have faced death five times in my 83 years. And I would say two of them, I actually had to be resuscitated and brought back. There is definitely a very thin line between what we see as our physical life and whatever the extended of foreverness is that we are of. We don't stop with the body, and we didn't begin with the body, and we seem to lose the heavy track of that in between when we say we are born and then we pass. Anita brings that into a beautiful perspective. I know other people who have definitely had near-death experiences, and I've shared with that community over my life. We would all support and agree very much with what she shares with this, and I feel the value that it is. So we start now to actually coming into reviewing the first three chapters with you, and we hope you stay with us each week so that you actually can come to conclusion with us in the end of the book. So we're going to start today with Marianne Love, who's in Melbourne, Australia. Marianne, you want to share with us what you got out of those first three chapters? Sure. I'm loving this. She's such a beautiful writer. She really takes you on a journey like you're almost there. It fills your heart up. She's a really lovely writer. And so in chapter one, she takes us on a journey of how she was really raised within three cultures. So her parents are Indian. She was born in Singapore and she grew up in Hong Kong. Um, and her father was like uh, pretty traditional. Like he com- he was really strict. He commanded respect. Um He expected her to conform to the rules. So she was a bit afraid of her father and honestly didn't want to cross him. But her mother was really lovely, kind, wise. She could really share all her feelings with her mother. And same with her brother, who was five years older. He was lovely, protected her. They never fought. Um, and she really looked up to him and he she could talk to him about anything. And he and she said he was actually a stronger male influence for her than her father. But the culture that she was raised in was really that women are subservient to men. And so um, one day she was really, I think, challenged and hurt and confused by this. She overheard one of her mother's friends talking to her mother saying, um, wasn't she disappointed that she didn't have two boys? Um, And her mother was like, oh, no, I love my daughter. And um, I thought, there's a quote in here on page eight that her mother says, you can't predict the future. Every child, whether male or female, will bring their own fate. Um, and later she, Anita asked her mum, you know, a girl's a problem. And she really never wanted to be a problem. She decided after that to never be a problem to her parents because she was born a girl. But her mum said, no, girls, and no, 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 I love you. Of course they're not a problem. But I think that really still in made an impression on Anita. And I think that decision she made then really um, laid out how her life was to unfold after that. Um, so a significant point, I think, to point out. 
but she really gives us a sense of like the beauty of the culture and the smells and the senses and experiencing the um, her parents praying and in in the Hindu religion and then her nanny was Chinese so she got to go to exciting places with her nanny street markets and um, she got to partake in the Chinese um, festivals and traditions and and love the beautiful like lantern festival and um she also loved the Hindu festival with her parents, the Festival of Lights, where she got to dress up and chant and sing and um, just a beautiful time of culture and family. Um, and, you know, there were many things that were influenced her in her upbringing then, her understanding of karma and, um, you know, how that all then impacts her um, un unfoldment of life. So, in Chapter 2, um, I think we get a sense of what some of the conflict began for her. She went to a Catholic school when she was younger and one of the kids there in a kind, loving way said to her, oh, no, you don't go to church on Sundays. Does that mean you're not going to go to heaven? Um, and even though he said it in a caring way, it really caused her to feel distressed, like maybe she won't get to heaven. Um, and the nuns even validated this. Um, but it really was it was not in line with her Hindu belief. She thought she had her beliefs and that um, her parents were raising her in the best way, but it just created a seed of anxiety for her, the conflict between what she understood from her family and what she was getting from the Catholic school. And unfortunately that didn't improve for her. It got worse. Her anxiety about that got worse. She would think about that and worry that she wasn't going to get to heaven. Um and so her parents took her out of that school and sent her to uh, an expat school. And here was different challenges for her. They were, you know, all white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. And she stood out and was bullied in the context of being different. And um, she just couldn't fit in, really. And it was a real struggle for her being bullied. She felt sad, lonely and dejected. Um, and then... Um, she and then as she grew up, she they the bullying subsided, but she wasn't allowed out with her friends because of her Hindu Indian culture was quite strict and restrictive. And so she had to stay at home. So again, she still didn't really fit in. And the only time she really felt she did fit in was when she was at um her um Vedanta studies, the Hindu religion classes that her parents actually made her go to. Um but um, she ended up enjoying it, even though she didn't want to go in the beginning. She ended up enjoying it. She became popular. She fitted in. She was accepted. And it was really her only experience of feeling accepted um, outside her relationship with her mother and brother. Um, and she really wished that she could feel like that at school and in other contexts of her life. So you get the sense of how much challenge she had fitting in in all these different cultures and these different worlds and just couldn't consolidate it all. Um and in Chapter 3, she goes on to talk about how in her heart she wanted to travel and have adventure and to live a career. And she had all these beautiful aspirations and dreams as her true self. Um, but she had pressure from her father to uphold the cultural values, which she experienced like rules. And he just felt, no, these are cultural values. You should want to be proud of them and live them. And that really meant that she should fall into an arranged marriage, become domesticated, and look after her family. 
And she tried, she just so didn't want to disappoint her family that she really tried. She got herself engaged and against all her best efforts, um, she just couldn't cut it. She just was not, she was acting basically. And she was, she realized she was always going to fall short. And in that she was never going to make it. And so just before the wedding, she pulled out and even after it was all paid for, she decided she spoke to her mum, broke down to her mother and her brother, and um, they supported her to not go ahead with the wedding, um, And which again put a lot of pressure on her. And the community um, basically said that she had too high expectations of her life and herself and that she should lower them and become an obedient wife and daughter-in-law. Um, so that really sets the scene about why and how the cancer developed in her life. Um, the seeds of um, feeling disconnected, not belonging, um, the seeds of feeling she's wrong or bad, um, and that all later cultivated into cancer. Yeah, I think I, what I like about it and the reason I think this part of it so so heavily, and I'm sure she had all of the background support and everything from Wayne Dyer and his many mean he always had perfect gifts and like you had commented it's written very very well and I'm sure that definitely this was all considered as to how to make up the story of this book and these first three chapters help us understand what we can all identify with I can't even imagine knowing all of the years I've studied theology and especially as interested and in-depth as I've gone into Hinduism and the particular studies uh, of Hinduism and Sanskrit, actually to feel a child in her formative years, as we're, we realize that Anita was, okay, to actually have the contrast of her cultural beliefs and then be thrown smack dab into the middle of Catholicism, I can't even imagine the nightmare that that had to be in her trying to actually connect the dots, you know, trying to make sense of it all in, in her particular time. And especially the ins and out. I mean, she was subject to whatever her nanny uh, actually subjected her to in that community. So she's, she's actually celebrating Chinese holy days and Chinese particular uh, sacred times and stuff. And then, like I said, the mixture here has many contradictions in the particular beliefs and the the base of each religion. And to think that this child, this beautiful little girl, who obviously just loved life, and it shows how in the beginning with her and her nanny, she loved her trips going out into society. She loved going play in here and going play in there. And you get this sense of this delightful little girl, somebody we could all love. And then you see her thrown into the midst of all of these serious decisions that religions bring on to our lives. And uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's all the further I had to go to actually look at what conditions would probably set up the particular experience of cancer that she had. It would be at the very root of wanting to have something that helps you through the dark nights. She had such a confusion. I don't know how that had to go. And then on top of it to try and actually get the approval. We all know how important it is that we have approval of our parents at this age. 
and to try to know how to satisfy them, but know where your heart and your mind's not. I just, I feel it helps bring forth a compassion that definitely is needed to go along with her in this book and everything. Joyce, and definitely, I'm sure you have a lot of good things to share in your particular take on these three chapters. So what did you get out of that? Well, this is such an exciting book because you just feel like you're living her experiences. She is just so vivid in describing it. And Marianne gave a lot of wonderful detail in this first chapter about how she grew up different. And actually, chapter one is you feel happy, like grandmother's just mentioned. You feel happy for this child because she was just absorbing all the differences that she was being exposed to and kind of lapping it all up. And somehow, I think she was making sense of it because she was having so much love given to her from this nanny was an absolutely fabulous person. And she got exposed to her nanny's life. She got exposed to her own life. And it was just a very vibrant um, feeling you were left with, that this is a child that was had a sense of adventure and curiosity and was just gaining from all of that. So then when it went into chapter two, we got into certainly heavier stuff because she found all these different religions all had a different path. And the fact that each one that she was exposed to, she had a different experience on how she they the people the students responded to her and and even the nun who convinced her that she had no chance unless she read the bible and went to church so I like I, I i know shaking our heads is something that's just so natural when for anyone who has a broader sense but i personally went on a little cultural journey through all this because she taught me things that I wasn't at all aware of. And, and because as a small child, she was open to it. She had the curiosity that she all her senses were involved. And I love the fact that it included the visions that she saw, the windows, the, the smells that she smelled at the market, the colors that she saw. Like, it's alive the way she talks. So chapter two, as I say, is a little heavier because it talks about the actual interactions that she had with her students, her fellow students, and the people that were teaching her. And, and her parents really hoped, after all the sleepless nights and anxiety she had, of worrying about going to hell because she didn't read the Bible, uh. moving to the British school was even worse because most of the people there were white-skinned and they consider her dark skin something that they couldn't allow. So the 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 peak came because they bullied her so badly, and she was she was determined she wasn't going to share that with her parents. But this day, one of the students poured the garbage from his tray all over her lunch. So she got up in a rage and poured a sticky drink over his head. Well, she just ran from that cafeteria and went to the bathroom in a stall and just sobbed her heart out. And part of her sobbing was because it wasn't part of her nature to do that. And also, she was trying so hard not to be a daughter that would be hard for her parents to find a, a mate for. So it's intense. <laughs> and then when she gets into chapter three with the matchmaking, and she tried her best to fit into her parents' requests. 
what she told, she was honest with them, said she wanted to go to university. That was her goal, but that would be out of town. And she wasn't allowed to sleep anywhere except in her own home. So the walls just kept going up for the things that her heart was saying would be right for her. So she decided she would give it a try. And when she actually got engaged, it became more painful and she had to admit she could not handle that. So that's how that chapter closes, that the marriage does not happen and her parents have given her approval to not go ahead. Yeah, and, and in that, like I said, to I mean, I, I can identify that being raised in a different culture and trying to actually fit in and, and feel and be, be reminded every day of your life that you don't look like everybody else. And uh, I can see where the seeds of, of her final you know, expression with the disease would happen. So it all sounds painful, like I said, and even more painful if you catch the happiness of the child that we start with in the first chapter. I think it just, then you, you start seeing how everything starts corroding over that happiness. So yes, I agree with you. This this is a lot, a lot for a young person to have to deal with. Okay, our co-host LOA has not actually checked in for today's show. So we're going to move on to you, Trina. Can you actually share your review of the first three chapters? Sure. Um, chapter one starts on page seven, and it's about growing up different. And as I read this, I thought, oh my gosh, there's things I can relate to moving in and out of different cultures, different places, being uprooted. And in her case, though, um, being raised in such a strong Hindu home, one where the father is the patriarch, the mother is more submissive. Um, her brother ends up being her friend, but the culture of the of the Hindus, there was certain things that you were just supposed to do. And the girls were supposed to, you know, be raised and find a, and be a good wife. They were supposed to be married early. They were supposed to be subservient. So that question, and this was brought up already, was a girl a problem? Was there really that thought going on in that culture that, well, boys, they will go on and they will be the husbands and they will be the breadwinners. But with the girls, they need to be home. They need to do this. They need to do that. And with the change of the culture in the world, this is already beginning to be a problem. And then moving from being in the Hindi um, home to growing up with a nanny that is Chinese, can't learning Cantonese she's already um, fluent in her language Hindi she's now becoming fluent in Cantonese and then when she moves into Hong Kong and is brought into the British schools she actually is introduced to English and a whole new culture so just imagine a young girl who's just so joyous as she's little and really experiencing this diversity in the world Anita shares with us the struggle that she was having, trying to find her place in all of this and trying to make everybody happy and be the good girl that she's supposed to be. So this is kind of where we run through in chapter one. And she talks about all the things she loves, which especially the celebrations, not just Christmas and Thanksgiving, but also Diwali and also the Chinese um, festival of the moon 
where they've had the lanterns and just the beauty and the colors and things like that that were drawn out that she really resonated with. And then in chapter two, she starts talking about the many religions, the many paths. So she's growing up and she's going to a Catholic school and her beliefs are being challenged by the kids that are there. She's being introduced to the to the idea of baptism, to the idea of you have to be baptized to go to heaven. And if you don't, you can never go to heaven. And that, you know, and they suggest, well, go to the sister, go to Sister Mary. She'll tell you what's right. And well, she goes there. And that doesn't work because it makes her feel even worse. And then she goes home. And her mother says to her, religion isn't truth. Religion is just a path. And I thought that was pretty profound because her mother always seemed to be this guiding hand for her, trying to support her. And probably in my imagination, maybe struggling with some of the things that Anita actually brought, you know, struggles with. She may have struggled with it in her life with the change of cultures and things. But then again, this is how you're raised. You're raised Hindi. This is the way it's done. So again, she becomes bullied because of all of the, the kids not understanding her and her being so different and not looking the same and not fitting in. She actually talked about how she, proud she was in this Catholic school because of the uniform that she wore, because she looked just like everybody else. So this was something that was becoming very deeply rooted in her. The idea that she couldn't find a place to belong. She couldn't find a place where she fit in. And that was a struggle. And then we moved into chapter three, which was matchmaking mishaps. And she was trying to be the good girl again. She was trying to, to make her father proud and happy with her and going through the steps of, of trying to find a, a mate, uh, an arranged marriage that was in her culture. But on the other hand, feeling like I need to travel the world. I need to explore what my soul's telling me to do. Yet being the good girl going through each of these meeting different people, meeting families and making a really big mistake, not even being aware that this family was vegetarian. So um, this became an issue and she was afraid to marry. She was afraid to tell anyone she got engaged. But then it was like, I don't want to marry. I don't want to be trapped. I'm afraid to tell anyone. I'm afraid to call it off. And then when she did, she was really kind of chastised by everyone around her. Nobody could understand, you know, what's wrong. You should go back and get married. No, you're being unrealistic. You need to be obedient. So finally, what I really got out of all of this was her struggle. The, the main things that she was really burying inside of her, what's wrong with me? I need to be good. I want this, but I'm, everyone expects me to be that. I just don't fit in. Why can't I do anything right? And in the end, at the end of chapter three, she kind of runs away and goes on a trip um, to India and the UK just to try and deal with herself a little bit and, and kind of calm herself down. So yeah, this is definitely in one, in one child, the clash of cultures and the clash of what is global now. It isn't so much just unique to Anita, though. No. That, no. I have found in my life almost every religious base 
has a male dominance. And there is definitely a, a, a situation in our world that I feel is looked at very uh, clear these days as, as women begin to understand the particular uniqueness of being the feminine in body in this world. Uh, there are religions where the male presence dominates and the woman is expected to constantly be very submissive and agreeable and not create waves or disturbances. So that identifying that in marriages, and especially with all the consulting I do with it, there are still very many religions to where the male dominance becomes a role that the man himself has been conditioned to. So it's actually passed on, even if it's tried to be viewed in a more modern look, there's still these formalities and expectations that come with it. So I feel there's a lot of women today that will definitely identify with where she's at and actually trying to acquire their own ability to live as themselves and not as the obedient wife and the cooperative mother and so forth and on. So there's a lot of identity there. I love how she shares in the beginning again with Afang, her actual nanny, the Chinese nanny, because the nanny seems to have given her lots of support in, in all of her needs to be happy, playful, and so forth. And she starts losing that as she moves out into the world. And when I think of Catholicism and all my experience in, in pursuing learning and understanding this, she's actually in a British church that's maintained by British authority, which is even more strict than what I feel the Italian base of Catholicism is all about. So she's getting a lot of, again, another male dominant suppression there. Okay. And actually the rigidness of that would be what she's getting from the sister when she goes to the sister for help, because then you still have the church of England's impression of whatever that authority is. Now this child is a happy, playful child. Even what she's been exposed to in Chinese uh, and I understand, Joyce, you said you actually learned things from her sharing because these are things you didn't know about celebrations and stuff. And you can hear the playfulness in her recalling these things and writing them and sharing them with us in this book. We can get caught up in her playfulness, can't you? You can be caught up. I mean, I've already formulated in my mind an imaginal feel what Afong was like, and I, I've come to love her. You know what I mean? You, you can get caught up in how beautiful this little girl came into this and about this. And then now we see her emerging into a greater, a greater, what we may call growth in adulthood, okay, where she has to now make decisions from impressions that she's gotten from these particular, uh, definitely the elements of drastic differences, okay? So we move with that. And uh, I appreciate how you're all kind of skimming over and playing with the fact of how she accepts finally to please her father and mother. She accepts because she finds somebody that she's a little bit more open with. But again, we have to realize he is going to play the male dominance in the relationship that most men take on anyway. So then that began to be her problem. She realized she was going to be suppressed. She wasn't going to be able to think and be and live. And uh, I keep seeing a little bit of her recalling her life with Afong 
and her daughter that she she keeps leaning back to wanting more of that freedom to play, to express, to enjoy, to laugh, to have fun. So I, I love how it's emerging and the psychology that's in the base of how it's being unfolded. Steve, you want to add your two cents? I mean, since we're talking about male dominance, we might as well throw a man out here on the altar. <laughs> so you oh. want to step up here and give your particular perspectives of what we're discussing here. And what do you think of the first three chapters? Well, so, um, I mean, chapter one, she really gives a history of, you know, how she was raised in, in the Hindu and the Chinese cultures. And she talks about the, the different... Um, things that she picked up, like from her Indian upbringing, she picked up that girls could be a problem to their parents. So she did everything she could in her, in her mind and in her life. She didn't want to be a problem because she didn't want them to wish that they had a boy instead. And th they also taught her about karma, which made her anxious and, and throughout her life. And she was always careful not to create negative karma that would affect her in a different life. Um, ah Fong, her, her nanny, you know, brought her to a lot of the Chinese celebrations with her and she got exposed to that as well. Um, in, in chapter two, it brings, you know, she gets, first she has karma and now they throw hell on top of it. So, you know, she had, she had a lot to think about. Um, you know, she was told that she had to study the Bible to go to church on Sundays uh you know in order to get an, on into heaven and she stayed up at night to the point where her parents actually transferred her to another school because it was causing her so much so much distress but when she got to the school because she had darker skin and different hair she was bullied and because she didn't want to be a problem to her parents she didn't tell her parents that she was being bullied she just she just cried to herself and her parents had you know and so she wanted to be a part of the school a part of that culture and do different things with the kids they didn't let her go out and participate in a lot of the school activities which which made her feel further separated and she she all they also had her insisted she and she said she didn't want to but they insisted that she continued to study Hinduism and what it was like to be uh, a Hindu. So she, the, the Vedic studies that she took, um, eventually she, she became interested in them, but in studying them, she realized that a lot of the cultural practices that they had, like the being subservient to men and so forth, weren't actually part of the Vedas. She couldn't find them in there. She was kind of like, well, where did these come from? You're having me, you know, this isn't part of our religion. This is just something that you've made up. And I, I think it really shows how, you know, the different beliefs we're taught when we're young um, can really have an ongoing effect the rest of our lives. Um, you know, in, in the, I mean, that's really highlighted in chapter three with the matchmaking uh, mistakes where she was expected to have an arranged marriage and live and not, I mean, she wanted to go and travel the world and they, in her culture, they could, she couldn't do that because she wasn't married. And that was a, a lot of, um, a lot of turmoil within her. And she felt that she was 
disappointed. What she says is she was hurting everyone and she was disappointing everyone. And she actually felt like a failure. And she says she regretted everything about herself because she just felt she disappointed and, and hurt everyone not being able to. And she eventually, just before the, the wedding, just ran away to deal with that, uh, with her own emotions, really find out what she was made of. But you can, you know, you can see there was so much put in there, so much expectations and her feelings of being a failure and a disappointment and regretting herself. I, I'm sure that, you know, those emotions and thoughts really set her up for the, for the disease to come. Yeah, I hear you. I in working with the Hindu culture, especially I, I'm I do a lot of work and very much involved with it and actually support a lot of the particular sacredness and religious practices that are there. And when we actually think about the fact that Sanskrit actually being one of the oldest means and uh historical writings that we have in our world today and how much of that is actually at the base and heart of Hinduism that we, I can definitely understand how very uh, strong it had to be for her in this engagement, because first off she had finally found a young man that she could actually feel she was having fun with and they were having laughter and things. And then immediately the the particular pressure was put on that she couldn't see him. They couldn't see each other again until the formalities were agreed upon, which meant there had to be an engagement. So even after two visits, and these are definitely chaperoned visits, Okay, she's still under the pressure at that point that even if she wants to go forward with someone for the first time in all of these particular pursuing young men, she found one that was tall, dark, handsome, and a lot of fun. So she had to agree to actually in, be engaged and make a formal commitment to him. And what she shows in here is that this was a, a very, I mean, there was time involved in this commitment, okay, to where it wasn't just, okay, next week you changed your mind. The community had finally settled into accepting that there was going to be a marriage. And I can only relate to what I've had in my own personal experience, what that had to be like inside the community to find out that a woman would actually just up and decide to offend the families on both sides. I mean, this is this is a big, impactful slander and how it had to affect the man and his family, definitely for sure, but along with her parents and mother. And what I love about it in these chapters is how her father did not get on to her about this. This wasn't where he actually applied more pressure and uh, made it, making her feel bad. He actually was very supportive and loving of her seeing the intensity of how the community was reacting to this. I mean, I can just cringe in realizing how serious the whole population and culture takes such a thing as this. You, you would definitely be looking at a very big, not good thing. Okay, and that she would have to absorb that. I can see at this point where she actually gets support and stuff and actually can leave 
community at this point and go where she can actually get out of the pressure of that. Cause I, I can definitely understand it was relentless. She wouldn't have been able to go to the store. She would not be able to stop and say hello to people she knows or anything. She would have been definitely outcasted in a very harsh and hurtful way. So I can see where this would have been some of the background that has started initiating the lack of value and self self-love and then blaming herself for not understanding herself as to why she couldn't conform to all these expectations. And so we all identify, like I said, our our readers will actually see parts of themselves, especially the male dominance in marriages. You have other religions that insist that the man be the head of the household. And so so many different suppressive ways that we actually react to that and how as women, we are conditioned to be submissive. And so basically, I would see in the, her particular case that these would have been horrendously hard emotional times. Talk about scars. It would have been some very deep cuts and some very deep scars. So to have to go forward with that, no matter how far and how much her life may be upgrades as we go forward in the other chapters, She's still caring and will continue to have to carry and deal with those particular uh, outcomes. And there's no way that there's a happy ending if you see where she has to look at that from. So I feel that with that, we're going to see a lot of what we're looking at within ourselves. The reason I make such importance of that is I realize that we're talking out into a field of people in the radio community and watching our show and following us on the show, that you're all going to find parts of what we're exploring here in this book and its chapters to identify with in how you have made it this far and survived. And what I want you to hear is the seriousness of you dealing with that. I the bringing that up and getting assistance with that. This is not something that can you can do yourself. This is not a handyman special here that you can take care of. You really need to discuss this history and your own background, especially if you've been talked and moved into a marriage to where you had to be submissive to fulfill whatever agreement it was. And even in our time, I would say over the last 50 years, women have still had to deal with the fact that an unmarried woman was considered there had to be something wrong with her. Okay. And that to, to discuss divorce or the actual changing of the, the situation, women have been expected and have taken extreme abuse, psychological abuse, as well as physical abuse and how, we, you know, I appeal to all of my sisters and the beautiful women out there. You need to look at this and see if you're hanging on to any of that. And just because maybe you have moved past it, is it really gone? Is the wound really tended? Because here's here's what I want to see us do with what Anita's given us here. Dying to be me is about her saying to you, here are the circumstances. Take a look at this. How much of this prevails and how much of that is personal to you? 
And where are you at with that? Because see, she moves on in the book to having a happy marriage that we'll get to and stuff. And yet she still had to encounter the excruciating suffering that she went through with the cancer. So just because there's a brighter ending over here, there is a need for us to resolve the history. So breaking habits and and the actual tags that are still in your life from where you've come from and where you've been. You want to make sure that you're getting the kind of help that helps you see that you can take the charge off of that and that you can now stand strong in your own purpose and individuality. What I love about what we're going to begin to explore with her is how the true message in life is that we have all the love we could ever ask for. We are loved and we are cared for. Everybody. There's nothing you have to do to earn that. You matter. You count. You make a difference. Your uniqueness is yours. One of a kind. One diamond in the rough. All of the time. And that we are part of and of a source, whatever the sacred name would be, that you never, ever can actually walk away from. It is what we are. There's no, there's no disgrace. There's no exiling. There's no punishment. There's no, no breaking it because you haven't been something or done something or thought something that it prevails all around you, that all you have to do is look. Look at the seasons, look at the sky, look at the winds, look at look at the parts that nature plays in life with us. Go outside, get outside away from man's and humanity's insanities. We're in a time that most teachings show that's Kalaluga, the, day, the time of darkness, and all we have to do is turn on the TV to see how intense that is. Okay, well, you you need to detach from that. Okay, and not allow that to begin to monitor and fill in your space, time, and your day. You need to get into nature and what, what is declared and shown to us in nature. The renewal of it shows the continuance of what we are. You are an everlasting and a forever being. And Anita shows us that in everything she captures and brings back in her death experience. And I can tell you that any of us who've ever come that close to the veil can tell you and validates everything 100%. And we are taught about a heaven and a hell, which does not exist and was actually put into the scriptures by human beings. They were never part of the original teachings and, and scriptures. It was determined to put it in there that there was need for control and to have more submission and everything. So everything that she suffers here in the beginning of this book is what religions have put on us. And that there has never been punishment taught in the sacredness of the love that we've been given by the sacred name. No, never has been. And in the when we get past the written word, which has been totally manipulated, and we're seeing how strong that is in what's happening in journalism today. 
So we're still seeing and, and becoming more aware of how far reaching all of this is. But when you go back to the digs and the archaeological findings that we have, and we find these tablets in stone, and we find all of these particular sacred passages in history and written intelligence and sciences, the only thing that I feel I can trust here in my 80s is what I learn. And even then I go to where, where did this research come from? I trust science that's revealing the innermost part of what we truly are capable of. And we, I find that that totally coincides to what Anita shares with us here, that the choice is always ours. The difference will always be us. And that you, you personally, you individually have importance. You cannot let somebody dominate that. You cannot let someone tell you how you must express that. It has to come from where you can see it, feel it. Okay, when you realize that in this world you have come into, your birthright is health, wealth, and happiness. And if you are not having abundance, you have to find out who's taking it away. If you don't have health, you have to see where the threat came from. And you should understand that the only way you ever measure if something is good, bad, or otherwise is, are you happy? See, if you're happy, then everything's all right. The choices you make should be heightening your happiness and should be making you feel the need to become more involved and stronger and have more of, that's happiness. That's what Anita gives us here, sharing where she once had that. See, she had that at the beginning and how slowly it gets corroded and totally jaded with all these other impressions where in sincerity, there's this beautiful being that just wants to make sure she's not hurting anyone and that she's doing the right thing. And unfortunately, when we lock ourselves into being the right person and the right thing, there's a lot of shall nots and should nots and have nots and a whole lot of the other nots that actually begin to entangle the very livelihood of our being. So I want us to take this book very serious. I'm excited about it. I know my co-hosts are loving it. And everybody that I've actually given the book to over the last three weeks have come back with such beautiful reports. And like I said, uh, to have to have the ability to see where we're going. When you stop fearing death, you'll begin to live fully. And when death is not something that stops happiness and love, then it's not really a threat, it's a part of. And that's what I'm looking for us to experience with this book. So with my co-host, what are you all thinking about what we've discovered so far? Trina? Yeah, the, what really stood out for me too with this was everything that these people were giving to her, they were giving her in love, in their truth. Um, the adults were giving them her best. And the question was, which best was best for her? And how did that work? 
And what's really cool is if you go to her website, you can see that she really did find her best when you see all the color and all the beauty that's in her website now. The experiences she had are something to really listen to because she has really found herself and expresses it in so many different ways. Okay, I agree with that to a degree, but it also took her to the crisis of where she could have made the choice not to come back. Yep. So I still hold strong to the fact we need to handle this side before it becomes that critical. All right, Marianne, you wanted to add something. Yeah, what I thought was interesting is that in her home, she had a lot of love, like she had the beauty, like her mother was obviously so wise, like those responses were deeply wise um, and just so generous to her. So in her home, she had beautiful love, like she had a brother and a mother. And I thought it's interesting just how strong the influence of others, like the nun and the the school and the bullying like and that she wanted to be so good she couldn't even talk to her mother about it and I think her mother could have been a great resource for her yes it's just sort of sad almost that she had it she had it and and maybe that's what you're talking about grandmother we have the love is so is here for us and yet we cannot see it or we choose not to reach for it and yet we could and and I see that in her childhood as well I do too, Ed, and like uh, to follow Trina's line of things, okay, everything being as it is, it is, okay, and that being true, but everybody that's listening to what we're sharing needs to know where the head's up here. This, This is the time that you need to look at this. Our message to you is pay attention here. Does any of this apply? And now's a great time for you to begin to look at taking forward what you can and resolving along the way the suppressions as well as the overruling that has happened in your own life, okay? So basically, she goes on to share that, and I love how we actually can see in that to where when she comes to the final awakening here, what I realized from my own experiences is you don't take anything that serious anymore, okay? You understand choice, you understand the outcome of choice, And when you feel that all the information and the intelligence that can be given has been given and shared, and then a choice is made in a detrimental manner of not using that to its fullest for your own benefit, you still have to understand and allow that that choice was made by the person and the only person that can make that choice. And here in all of this, like like seeing the victimization that becomes very visible throughout this whole part of the book is her coming constantly back to trying to be something to please everybody else, something to actually be, you know, submissive to. And in that, I, I say to people, definitely, please take a look at where you're at and how much are you there under your own volition. How much have you actually had to give up and move back in order to keep somebody else in the proper place for them? How much sacrifice have you made? Now's a good time to begin to look at that and go back. And if you identify with any of this up front, especially if you get the book, I'd like to know that you're reading it page by page and that you're actually hearing and seeing this all unfold before you so that you can actually now take this book, which is what Anita shares, that she wants to be that particular light in your day that gives you a heads up 
and says, take a look at this. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, Joyce. I was interested that she actually made the statement in the book that the the Vedas themselves never, ever stipulate that uh, you have to be subservient. So I don't know what part of the Vedas that's included in, but that's obviously been there forever and ignored. <laughs> so there's something about me or about the thought of it that how come we're willing to accept some parts of things that are in front of us and not the truth? in some cases and not actually trust that we we have the ability to fulfill ourselves you know that we don't have to do that under somebody else's dominance and and looking at that today seeing how rapid that's changing because women are coming forward understanding that they don't have to obey male dominance it's it's kind of an exciting time to be in time isn't it I know for you and I, Joyce, we definitely have seen some pages of that unfold. Very good. All right, we're coming up on the hour, so we're going to come to a close. So basically, we invite you to go out and get the book, okay, Dying to Be Me by Anita Morjani, and actually go on uh, the internet and explore her site as well as her teachings. She's a delightful teacher as well. I can, in watching the, I was actually sent four of her programs from a friend of mine. In fact, Barry, who was on our show, actually is the one that awakened me to her and to just get a feel of how she actually brings it all together today is in itself a beautiful gift to give to yourself. And to look at some of the fact that she does do open teachings and invites people on journeys with her and stuff like that. I can just imagine the outcome and how wonderful that would be. So go a little bit further than our show, look into the book and definitely go surf the internet and find some more messages. Meanwhile, come back next week so that we can actually further the chapters and move forward with you and discuss it. And make sure that you go to our Facebook you continue to send your messages, and I appreciate all of you that have been showing up on my screen over here reacting to today's show, and deeply appreciate this. And again, definitely you're saying to the women there, yes, I understand there are other still religions where the man is the boss. Not necessary. You need to know you have control of your life, okay? OCO, we'll see you then next week. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.